Hey, my name is Jason Byler. I'm the pastor of Life Change Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcasts. I believe that if you'll listen to them, uh, that you will be blessed. Mark 4 tells us that the Word of God uh, planted down inside of our hearts uh, can bring forth a rich, beautiful, abundant harvest in our lives. This is my desire uh, for you. Uh, so as you listen to the Word, just receive it. Let it get down in your heart. Bring forth a harvest. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you. It doesn't seem like it, but, but it, it, Easter wasn't that long ago. Just a, just a couple of weeks. And it was the third Sunday uh, since Easter. Not, not very long ago. And, uh, and it's still just this beautiful uh, springtime of year you know, where life is just happening all around us. And the trees are budding and things are growing and flourishing and the, the birds are chirping and singing and flying about and nesting. It's just, it's just beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, day and, uh, and, uh, and Easter not, not too long ago and here we are this morning uh, singing about you know, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, you know, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, one of the questions I'm sometimes asked as a pastor is, is that why do we, you know, when the, when the Sabbath day is on Saturday, uh, why do we gather and worship on Sundays? And the answer to that is that the early church you know, began to gather and worship on Sunday because this is the day that the Lord uh, was resurrected and, and rose again. And so every Sunday they would come together and they would celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they'd celebrate it and, and, and declare it, proclaim it. Uh, and, uh, and, and really when you read the book of Acts, they are moving, uh, moving, you know, as you move through the book of Acts, they, when they're preaching, they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus, that he was buried and that he rose again. And they're saying, we are eyewitnesses of this reality. We are eyewitnesses of this fact. We saw him die, and then we saw him rise again. We have seen him a risen uh, Savior. So, so one of the things that, that we need to be celebrating and proclaiming every Sunday, gathering together every Sunday, is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can't, we can't really let a week go by where this reality and this truth doesn't impact our lives, where we aren't coming face to face with the empty tomb that Jesus has risen from the dead. And because He lives, we live. Because He has conquered death, we conquer death. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. This is something we need to, to every Sunday gather and celebrate and proclaim. And this is something that we need to be uh, proclaiming throughout our, throughout our day. Every, uh, every week, we need to be proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Because it puts an end to fear. It puts an end to doubt. It puts an end to to worry, and brings great confidence and assurance into our lives so that we become a people who are certain of our God, who are certain of His character, who are completely convinced and certain of the, of the truth of His Word and of His promises. Now, when we got done with Easter, I've been saying this, I just want to say this again, that that uh, I just I began to pray, you know, as I always do, moving towards the next Sunday, asking the Lord, you know, what, what would what would you say to us? What do you want me to preach? That kind of a thing. It's like kind of my constant everyday thought and prayer. Like right now, as I'm preaching, I'm praying and asking the Lord for what's next. No, I'll, I'll wait till this afternoon. But uh, but I, I just really believe, and and you take this as you want to take it. Just just really believe that the Lord just spoke to me and said to just declare Judges chapter 6, the promise to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, that we would, that we would hear the word of the Lord and that that word would impact us and change us 
and transform us. And I want you to know that, that in the life of Gideon, that moment where God came and spoke was a life-changing moment for him. Something shifts and changes. Gideon shifts and changes. And he, if you read out his story, he is never the same again. I'm not saying there's not some struggles and some difficulties and some failures and, and some mistakes, but, but he's never the same again after he hears the word of the Lord spoken to him. The Lord is with you. You are a mighty warrior. And I, and I think we know, I think we understand that now because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that that word is not just spoken to Gideon, but that that word is spoken to us. To all of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have the promise that God is with us. 2 Corinthians 1 makes this perfectly clear that in Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus, because of who He is and all that He has done, for those of us who have believed and put our faith and trust in Him, every promise that God has spoken, and there are many, that's what 2 Corinthians says, there are many, are for us, yes, and so we say amen to them. So when the Lord speaks to Gideon and says, you are a mighty warrior, Jesus, Jesus, because of Jesus, 2 Corinthians says, that is also spoken to us. That when the Lord speaks to him and says, I am with you, that that, because of Jesus, is also spoken to us. That that is yes to us. And, and then 2 Corinthians says, and we say yes to it. That we say Amen. We say yes and amen to the promises of God, to the word of God, that we are mighty warriors and that the Lord is with us. So, so let's be reminded again this morning and be encouraged that God's promises are for us, that, that we are God's people. You, you are God's person. You are His child. You are his son. You are his daughter in Christ Jesus. You are his warrior in Christ Jesus. And you have God's purpose. You are a part of his plan. You are, you are his creation created in Christ Jesus. You are connected to his plan and his purpose. You're not here for nothing. You're here to do what God has created you, formed and fashioned you, and called you to do. And you have His promises that He is with you. Now, just to, uh, to remind us as we get back into to Judges uh, chapter 6, because I, there's like a, a, a kind of a defining moment in this story of Gideon. Actually, as, before we get into it, just don't answer this, but just think about the answer in your mind, when you, when you think of the story of Gideon, if, if you're familiar with it and, and you know it, what is, what is one of the most uh, familiar parts of the story to you? Like, what do you think about when you think of Gideon? Just get that in your mind uh, right there. What, you know, what part of his story do you know, do you really uh, think about? Just get that in your mind and, and hold on you know, to it, because there is a part of the story that for most is like the most popular part of the story of the story of Gideon and I, I want to get to it because it's kind of this it's kind of this uh, brings us to a a kind of defining moment in our lives that connects us to some other defining moments that I, that I want to share with you but but if you remember uh, Israel here in Judges chapter 6 is in an incredibly difficult time uh, the Midianites and and other nations have, have just so oppressed Israel that, that they can't really get anything done. It's affecting their economy. And so we find uh, Gideon, um, we find him hiding out in a wine press, uh, threshing wheat, and, and it's there that the Lord shows up in Israel's time of need and in Gideon's time of need. And what does he do when he shows up? He speaks. That, that what Israel needed and what Gideon needed in their time of need, was a word from the Lord. I think that that's so powerful. I think that that's so relevant. Because here we find ourselves in a time of need. And we've been through a, a difficult time and, and, and are still in it in many aspects. And, and there's a lot of craziness going on in the world around us. I, I don't know how else to say it. There's just a lot of craziness 
going on. There's a lot of crazy things that are, that are being proclaimed and, and being embraced and, and, and believed. And, 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 uh, and there's all kinds of this uh, confusion and, and deception that's, that's in the world and, and it's causing trouble. And I don't know, you know, I don't know when it gets better, you know, except when Jesus shows up and we ride with him and, and defeat the armies of this world and he sets up his rule and reign and forevermore shall he reign, then it'll be better. And that day's coming. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in this time of need, God's, in Israel's time of need, God spoke and that's what they needed. And in our time of need, I don't know that we often know this, but what we need is God to speak. What we need is to, is to hear the word of the Lord. What we need is to know what God would say. What we need is God to show up and speak His word to us. And that's what happens. And God says to Gideon, He says, you know, we've talked about it, but let's say it again here. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior." This is, the, this is the word of the Lord spoken to Gideon. Now, now Gideon begins to argue a little bit about, about this, and, uh, and God doesn't even really get into that argument with him. He just says, he just says to him, he says, he says, go, and am I not sending you? He says, go in the strength you have and defeat Midian. He says, am I not sending you? God speaks, and he tells him to go, and that, and that he is sending him. And then God speaks and tells Gideon that he's, that he's going to defeat through Gideon the Midianites completely. That gonna, he's going to wipe them out uh, completely. This is the word of the Lord that is spoken and comes to Gideon. So, so then uh, Gideon's having trouble embracing this. He's having trouble believing this, so he tests God. Right? He wants a, he wants a sign you know, from God, and he prepares this meal. And, and the angel of the Lord touches it and burns it up on the, uh, on the, on the rock. And then... And then uh, Gideon recognizes that this is the angel of the Lord, and he's afraid. And so God speaks peace. Remember, and then Gideon uh, made an altar and called that place uh, peace. And then there is the instruction of uh, the Lord uh, to, uh, to, to, to go into his father's house and to remove uh, the, uh, the altars of Baal, the, the Asherah pole, to, to destroy it and to build a new altar to the Lord. So God... His first instruction to Gideon is, is uh, let's get things in order and let's make sure that I am first in your father's household and that I am first in Israel. Let's drop back into that in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. Judges 6. Uh, 25 is, is uh, sharing what, what we just talked about. Let's read this though. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull your, of your fa- from your father's herd, uh, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole uh, beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of its height, using the wood of the Asher pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. This is such an important moment in the story as God instructs Gideon to, to tear down these altars and to build an altar uh, to him and to offer uh, this second bull as, as a burnt offering. If, if you remember, this connected us uh, to Exodus chapter uh, 34, uh, where God really speaks to, to Israel after they have come from, from building this golden calf. And, and there in Exodus 34, we're reminded of the goodness of God. Remember, that it's, what, it's what Jonah quoted when he said, Lord, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He's, he's quoting that in Exodus 34. And it's so important that we remember this morning that the Lord is good, that He is kind, that He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I think we see this all throughout the story of Gideon. We just see God in, in God is just being so gentle with Gideon and with Israel. So Gideon took ten of his servants. 
He's got ten servants. And did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So this is kind of a, a, a good moment for Gideon here, kind of a cool moment for Gideon here, but also still shows a little bit of his, a little bit of his struggle, a little bit of, uh, of his weakness. He, he takes 10 of, of his servants and he does what the Lord told him to do. He hears the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, and he does it, but he is still a little bit afraid. He, he's afraid of his, of his family, and he's afraid of the townspeople. And as the story goes on, we'll see that he had good reason to be afraid of them. But it is kind of, he, he is afraid of the people, but it is kind of telling here that he's not afraid of Baal. Now, he's going to tear down Baal's altar, but that's not what's bothering him. What's bothering him is how his family's going to handle this and how the townspeople are going to handle this. Verse 28. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did, did it. And then the people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. Uh, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the pole uh, beside it. So, so he had good reason to be a little bit afraid of his family and the townspeople because, because he's done this, you know, they're calling uh, for him uh, to be killed. Uh, he, and he knew that this would happen, and yet he did it anyway, right? So we, so we see Gideon starting to have some courage within him, but also still battling a little bit of fear. Isn't that what courage is, though? Courage is, is doing what you know you're supposed to do, even though you're a little bit afraid to do it. It's action even in the face of fear. It's not the absence of of fear. We see him doing what God's told him to do, uh, facing uh, some fear, even though he did it uh, at night. Uh, and, and, and his fear is legitimate, because now they're calling for his death. Verse 31, but, but Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him uh, shall be put to death uh, by morning, if Baal really is a god, uh, little g, because he's not, he can defend himself when someone breaks down uh, his altar. Like, 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 how has Gideon done anything against any of you? He's done something against Baal. And if Baal's a god worth worshiping, if he's a god worth having an altar to, then he's a god who can fight for himself. He's a god who can defend himself. So let Baal deal with Gideon. And everybody else better leave them alone, or they'll be put to death by morning. You know, it shows, shows his dad coming out in him a little bit. Like, yeah, don't mess with my son, you know? That's not going to happen. What are we, verse 32. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, uh, they gave him the name Jerub Baal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Now, uh, if you... If you read through the story of Gideon, Gideon lives to a, to a good old age. So uh, Baal never contends with him. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abazarites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Nephtali. So they too went up to meet with him. So, so now, uh, here we, we have this second thing happening as God is working and moving to answer Israel's uh, calling out to him to save them from the Midianites. First, we see Gideon tearing down the altars of Baal and, and, and reestablishing that 
that God is our God, and this is who we will serve, and this is whom we will worship, and we'll put no other gods before him, and we'll bring no other gods with him. And then uh, we see uh, Gideon sounding the trumpet and calling the people to gather. Uh, so, so in this time of need, you know, catch this, in this time of Israel's gr- great need, what, what God does is He comes and He speaks the word of the Lord. And then God comes and, and declares that He is God and there is no other. That He sets Himself up as God. That, that God must be their trust. That He must be their hope. That He must be their God and God alone. And then third, what God does is, is God gathers the people together calls the people to come together. We, we know that God does this, right? Because it said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he sounded the trumpet, the trumpet calling the people together. This is the Spirit of the Lord moving upon Gideon to call God's people together. And I, I think we need some mighty warriors who know their mighty warriors called of God and the Lord is with them to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon them and to sound the trumpet to God's people that, it, that it's time to gather. Don't you think it's, don't you think it's that like the time of being apart has come to an end and that it's time to come together as the people of God? And, and I, don't, I don't just mean, and I do, you know I preach this, I do mean to come together and attend and be together on Sunday morning. But, but, I, but I mean more than that. I, I mean to gather together, to, to unite as God's people to face the enemy, to face the adversary. That, that we don't be a scattered people all doing our own thing, but that we would be a, a one people together with one God and one Holy Spirit, which there is one God and one Holy Spirit and, 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 and one salvation, and we are called to one hope, and one Savior, and one Lord, so we should be a, a one people gathered together to, to, to face the enemy. And, and if we gather together and are a united people, then there will be God's blessing, and then there will be the power of of unity. It's so interesting to me that there is this sounding of the trumpet for the people of God to come together, that God is doing this as He moves, uh, moves through Gideon, uh, the Holy Spirit upon him to sound the trumpet and bring God's people together. And, and in hearing the trumpet, for, for whatever reason, Gideon sounding the trumpet brings, brings Manasseh and Asher and Zebulun and Nephtali and they come and they come up to meet with Gideon, all of them coming together to meet with them. And then, and then the story continues here in verse 36. So, so now Gideon's got an army that has, that has gathered together with him of many, many thousands into the 30,000s that, that has come together to face him, but to come together with him to face the Midianites. But if we, if we read the story, uh, we see that the armies of Midian, it says that, it says that their camels were out in the, in the valley. They're just their camels of such number that it was like the sand on the seashore that you couldn't even count them. So even though Gideon has, has gathered together quite, quite a force, many thousands, quite an army, it is, it is an army that can be counted. And it, and it still is minuscule, pales in comparison uh, to, uh, the, to, the, to the forces that are gathered against them. You've got an army that can be counted to go and face an army that the camels of that army can't even be counted. So verse 36, so, so Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised... Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. So, 
here's kind of the part of Gideon's story that's so familiar to everybody. Right? It, I don't know, maybe this is the part that you thought about when I, when I asked. You know, think about the part of Gideon's story. It's, it's, the, it's the wool fleece. Like we've heard this said, you know, maybe you need to put out a fleece. And, and, and we, we have that, you know, there's that saying. This is where the saying came from. It's Gideon uh, putting out a fleece to, to test the Lord. Now, here, here's the thing about this, okay? T- two things. I don't blame Gideon for this, but Gideon didn't need to do it. I don't blame him, but it's not needed. You see what, you see what Gideon says right here? He says, then... I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. You see, God said that he would. God already said that he would. So really, that should be enough. There shouldn't need to be anything else. If Gideon knows that God said it, then that should be the end of it. That should settle it. And if we back up to verse 36, not only does he say, as you said, but in verse 36, he says, as you promised. Back up there to verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. So here Gideon recognizes that God has promised, and he did. He promised, he spoke to Gideon that you're a mighty warrior and that I am with you. And then he said, I will completely defeat Midian. Uh, Go and go, I'm sending you and I'm going to completely defeat them. God had said it, God had promised it, and Gideon knows it. He sees here the promise of God for Gideon to be defeat, for for, uh, Midian to be defeated at Gideon's hand and the word of the Lord in verse 36, as you said that you would do it then I'll know that you'll do it if the, if the fleece, go back to 37, there, if, the, uh, if, the, if the fleece, I always get these mixed up, if, if first the fleece is, uh, is wet and all the ground is dry, uh, then I will know that you will save Israel as you said. So, uh, verse 38, I understand Gideon doing this, but he doesn't have to. Verse 38, and and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. Uh, He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So so all the ground is dry and the fleece is wet. So now now Gideon has this evidence. He has this sign that what God has promised, God has promised. And what God has said, God has said. But Gideon goes on. Verse 39, and and again, I don't blame Gideon for this, and God doesn't even fuss with him. God doesn't even get upset with him, and and Gideon can almost feel the tension uh, that he shouldn't do this, because this is what he says right here. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. He's like, God, I I know, I know that this is pushing it, man. You know, not that we should call God man. I know that this is pushing it, God. Oh, Lord, I know that this is pushing it. Please don't be angry with me. Let, me. let me make just one more request. Allow me one more. See this? Test. You know, I'm, he's testing God again. Right now, now, he's already done this with, with the food, and, and the angel burned it up on the fire. He already saw this sign from the Lord. And, and, and now he's already seen God God. You know, soak the fleece and keep the ground dry. But now he just, just one more request. Allow me one, one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And so, verse 40, that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. So, so here we have... Gideon testing God. When God has already spoken, when God has already promised, he still needs evidence. He still needs a test. And and not only one, but he needs two. Two tests to, to see if what God has promised, God will do. To see if what God has said, God will stand by. And, and God doesn't get upset. And God doesn't fuss. God just does it. 
So God did so. So he, so he makes the ground dry, the fleece wet, then he makes the, 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 the ground wet and the fleece dry. These are, these are pretty easy things for God to do. He doesn't even get upset, which, which is comforting, isn't it? Because, and, 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 and if you back up in the story, remember God didn't even get upset about Gideon uh, at night doing what he told him to do because he was afraid of his family and his friends. We, we just see this gentleness of God, this understanding that God has. God, God remembers. He knows us. He remembers that we're weak. He remembers that we're flawed. He remembers that we're but dust. God knows this. He remembers that Gideon has, has got a very small army of, of just 30-some thousand men and God's telling him to go face the Midianites who have an army that their camels can't even be counted. And, and God recognizes that Gideon could struggle with that a little bit, that all that he's got to go on is the promise of God, is the word of God, is that God said. And so he allows Gideon this test. But, but it wasn't needed. Whether Gideon had tested God or not, God would stand by His promise. God would stand by His word. Really, all Gideon needed was the promise of God. Really, all Gideon needed was the word of God. There wasn't needed any test. All that there was needed was the promise because of who was promising. All that was needed was God's word because it was God who had spoken it. All that was needed was God's promise because it was God who had promised. It was God who is faithful and true, who speaks and what, he, and what His word declares happens, who promises and always forever stands by His promise. At some point in time, Gideon realizes this. We don't see Gideon testing God again. We see, we see God maybe testing, testing Gideon a little bit. Now Gideon's army, as you move on to the story, Gideon's army is a little too big. And so God now tests Gideon a little bit. Maybe God just messing around with him because he messed around with God. I don't know. It doesn't say that. Really, God points that it's, it's to his glory because he didn't want Israel to get glory. But, you know, just a fun thought is I wonder if Gideon hadn't have tested God, if God then would have tested Gideon. But that's just my dreaming and opinion. God doesn't say it. But Gideon does end up having to go into battle, not with 30,000, but with 300. And with 300, God brings about victory. With just 300, an army whose camels are as numerous as the sand on the seashore is defeated by Gideon and 300 mighty warriors. And Israel does rally and, and gather then and, and fight with them. And you should read out the, the, story of, the rest of the story of Gideon. But I, but I want to pause uh, right here because I, I think that this really uh, can, can bring to us some needed, needed instruction. Uh, there, there's a... There's a, a, a story that this, this reminds me of. If, if you back up to verse 36 there, Dara. Isn't Dara doing a good job? I'm really working her this morning. We're trying to... If you just back up to, to verse uh, 36, uh, this, this verse, Gideon says here to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. That, that if you will... Uh, reminds me uh, of the story uh, in Mark, um, in Mark uh, chapter nine. Uh, I just want to read verses fourteen uh, through uh, through twenty four uh, for you, where this is where um, Jesus uh, speaks to the Father, uh, and and uh, and he and he says to him, um, you know, if I can. Like Gideon asked God, if you will, the Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if, if I can. She's saying, I certainly can. Verse 14, he says, when they came to the other, when they, 
when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, uh, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And then Jesus speaks to this generation. And and we don't want this to be a word spoken to our generation. He says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And then Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The father says, kind of like Gideon did, if, if you can, if, if you will, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds in verse 23, if you can, Jesus said, and he says this powerful word, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's kind of a difficult and, and challenging story because here is this father who is, who is struggling with some unbelief and Jesus kind of chastises him and, 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 and speaks to him and says, and says what, you, if I can, I can. Everything's possible if you will believe. Everything's possible if you will have faith. Everything's possible if you will trust. And, and then the Father uh, makes, this, makes this declaration. And, and to be honest, I've often made this declaration. Lord, I do believe. But then like recognizing my own weakness and my own inability, I, I also pray, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, Lord I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to have to put out fleeces all the time. I want to believe. I don't want to be full of unbelief and and having to test you and and filled with fear and doubt. Lord, help me overcome my doubt. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe it's like just a great place in in, in our message this morning to just stop and and recognize that, that, yeah, there's fears within us. Yeah, there's, there's doubts within us. Yeah, maybe, we, maybe we're often questioning God and often testing God and maybe we struggle believing in His Word and, and living by His Word. Maybe it's just a great time but before we move on to just stop and pray and say, Lord, Lord, help us in, in our fear. Help us in our doubt. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to, to stop this unbelief, to stop this testing, to stop this doubting and to overcome our unbelief. Pray with me, will you, for just a moment as we just ask the Lord this together. Just a simple prayer uh, from the heart of a, of a father who was, in, who was in much need and had been for a long time. The Lord, we, we hear this word from the Gospel of Mark and we see this father's cry out to Jesus and, and we just pray, Lord, as he did Help us, Lord. We do believe. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to overcome every area of unbelief in our lives. Help us, as we move on into this message a little bit further, to, to, to just see and to understand and to know and to believe. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, 
You know, just, just for your information. Jesus here, if you want to you know, read on into this, uh, Jesus uh, speaks to this evil spirit and he tells him to come out of this boy and, and to never come in again. I love that statement. As Jesus not only sets him free, but he sets him free forever. He says, you come out and you never come out again. And then this, this happened so violently that the boy fell to the ground and it looked like he was dead. And all the people said, oh my goodness, he's dead. And Jesus walked over and just grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up and he stood up to his feet, alive and well. Healed, free, alive forever. It, it's almost like Jesus completely saves. Like he completely delivers. Like he completely heals. Like he can save us totally and completely to the uttermost forever. It's almost like that because he can. Hallelujah. Uh, I was going to cut that for sake of time, but I just added it back in there. Sorry. Mm. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, in, um, in John chapter 20, uh, there is... Let me take a coffee break. There is another story you know, like Gideon's and, and, like, and like this one. And, and here Jesus really uh, makes a powerful statement uh, that I want us to hear. This is the story of Thomas. Uh, if you remember, um, Jesus has risen you know, from the dead. He appeared uh, to the apostles. Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas actually says that, uh, that he refuses to believe this unless Jesus just shows up and he can see him and touch him, and so Jesus does. A week later, uh, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Uh, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then uh, he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, uh, see my hands, uh, reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he says this, Stop doubting and believe. He speaks, shows up to Thomas, who, who's doubting that he has risen uh, from the dead, and he, and he you know, kind of compassionately gives Thomas what Thomas needs, right? Just like God, you know, allowing the test with the fleece for Gideon. He gives this to Thomas, but then he says to Thomas, all right, all right, enough's enough, okay? This time of doubting needs to come to an end, and he says to him, stop doubting, and believe. So, so basically he says, you know, stop it. Stop it. It's, it's over. It's, it's done. It's finished. Now it's time to believe. Don't you kind of feel like at some point in time we need to come to like a stop it time in our lives when it comes to, when it comes to uh, you know, living by fear or full of doubts or always testing and questioning God, and we just need to stop and believe. I think maybe it's a, maybe it's a good time you know, right now for us to remember who our God is and why we don't have to test Him but, and why we don't have to doubt Him, but we can believe in Him. And why we're not called to live by fear, but we're called to live by faith. And to stop doubting and believe. To stop questioning and believe. I, I wrote it down you know, like this. You know, just thinking of, of these different stories. That it's, that it's time to stop testing and to start trusting. Time, time to, to stop testing God. We, we don't need to fleece Him. We don't, we don't, we don't need to put tests out there for Him. I, I know some have, have preached, I, I don't know, I've heard that they have. I don't know that I've ever actually heard anybody preach that we should do this, but they preach that, that Gideon fleeced, you know, that we should fleece. We shouldn't. We don't need to. We don't need to test God. We just need to trust Him. I, I think you might could do it and get away with it and it would be okay because God is so gracious and compassionate and He knows who you are and where you are, but really we don't need to test Him. Really, we just need to trust Him. Proverbs 3.5 doesn't say, test the Lord. It says, trust Him with all 
of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Maybe, maybe right now is a good time to shift and change and stop testing God and start trusting Him. Believe the Word of the Lord because it is the Word of the Lord. Believe the promises of God because it is God who has promised and that is enough. We don't need a test. We don't need a sign. We've been given the only sign that we need. It is the sign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried in a tomb, and on the third day rising again. Let me remind you of what Mark chapter 12 says. As <laughs> It's so funny, right? Because here Jesus has been moving and, and doing miracles and, and miraculous signs everywhere that he goes. By the time you get to Mark chapter 12, he, he's, he's doing all these incredible things. In Mark 12 verse 38, and, uh, and, and here they ask him for a sign, they demand of him a sign. Did I give you that? Did I give you Mark 12 38? Oh, I put Matthew, my bad. No, 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 no. It is Matthew. I'm sorry. I just said I just said Mark. It is Matthew. Y'all pray for me. I'm a I'm a nutcase. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, "Teacher, we want to see a sign from you." And here here it is, you know, this this testing of God. And Jesus says to them in a 39 he said he answered a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, he, so here Jesus says, you know, there, there's there, a wicked and, a, and a, an adulterous generation wants signs and, and, and is going to need tests and all kinds of, of other evidence. He said, but, but there's not going to be given any because here's the sign that we have. Here's the sign that is given. It is the sign of Jonah that as he was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will die, will be buried, and three days later, he will rise again. This is the sign we have. It is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is enough. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now... Someone greater than Jonah is here. Now one greater than Jonah has arrived, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nineveh is going to stand and condemn this generation because, because they listened to what Jonah had to say. They believed what Jonah had to say. Now someone greater than Jonah is here and who will not believe him? Jesus has come and many, not, and many still don't believe. He goes on. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is greater than Solomon. And, 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 and she, the queen of the south, journeyed to just hear the words of Solomon and this generation will not seek out Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus says, now one greater than Solomon is here and no one will come and look to him and no one will come and trust in him. We have, we have our fleece, if you will. It is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you add that on to the promise coming from the one who has made the promise. And we have all that we need to stop doubting and to believe. 
We have all that we need to trust in what God has said and to live our lives by what He has said and to build our lives on what He has said because He has said it and Jesus has risen from the dead. So it's a good time to stop testing and to start trusting. It's a good time to to stop doubting and to start believing. It's a good time to stop living by fear and to start living by faith. What does Hebrews chapter 11 tell us? It's the heroes of, of the faith, right? It's those who heard the word of the Lord, believed the word of the Lord, and lived by their faith in what God had said. It's not a chapter about those who lived by fear. It's a chapter about those who lived by faith. And, and, and God knows us, and He knows that we're weak, and, and He understands that we can be a fearful people. But we don't have to be a fearful people because God has spoken and Jesus has risen again. Here's what, here's what Hebrews chapter 6 has to say about why we should be certain of the promises of God. This is what Hebrews chapter 6 and 7 have to say about why we should stop testing and start trusting. Stop doubting and start believing. Stop living by fear and living by faith. We'll drop into here, uh, into, into verse 12. It says, he, it says, we don't want you to become lazy. We don't want you to, to, to start doubting and, and to waver when it comes to God's promises. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what has been promised. So talking about the promises of God, verse 13. This is why we believe the promises of God. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for Him to swear by, He swore by Himself. God promised, and the certainty of His promise is that He said He promised. I, I promise and I swear by myself. And, and God can do that because there's no one greater than Him. Saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And he did, didn't he? And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. I promise and and then I swear by this you know greater thing than myself or you know or like we do in court uh, when we when we place our right hand on the word of god and we swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help me so help me god that's what we're doing we're promising and we're declaring the certainty of our promise to tell the truth by swearing by what is greater than us the word of god Now God does this and His promise is confirmed because He is the one who promised it. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. But God did this, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. You see, we don't need a fleece. We have God promising. We have God who is unchangeable speaking His unchangeable word. These two unchangeable things mean that what has what has been said because of who said it will not be changed. Right? Hebrews 13 tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You know, when, when, a, when a man promises something, we can doubt it. 
Why? Because men are so easily shifted and changed and can so easily change their minds and and circumstances can affect what they promised, but not God. God, who promised, is unchangeable and His promise is unchangeable. So by these two unchangeable things, we who who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Gideon should be greatly encouraged, not because the fleece was dry and then it was wet, or it was wet and then it was dry, and the ground was dry and then it was wet. He should be greatly encouraged because God said, because God promised, and it was God who said it, and it was God who promised it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And if that is not enough that God has promised and God has said, then here Jesus enters the picture. Where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So now... Not only do we have the promise coming from the promiser and the certainty of that, but we also have the certainty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we have the promise, the promiser, and Jesus showing that, showing that what God has said is certain. And what God has promised is certain. And we can with our whole hearts trust in the word of the Lord because God spoke it and because Jesus has become high priest forever. Not in the order of the Levitical, but in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Hebrews chapter 7 begins to explain to us what this means, this order of Melchizedek and We don't have time to go into all of that this morning, although someday we will, because it's fascinating. But what what we are going to do is drop into into chapter 7 a little bit, where it kind of is wrapping up this, uh, this, why this is so important that Jesus appears in the order of Melchizedek and tells us again about the certainty we should have because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest appears like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Now, Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not a priest of the, of the, from the Levitical line, from Levi. So there were the, the priests before him uh, were priests uh, because, uh, because of the basis of a regulation as to their ancestry, uh, because they were born into that. But these priests would die and then another priest was needed. Uh, but Jesus is... is Uh, now priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not based on ancestry, but based on the power of an indestructible life. Because they they crucified him on the Roman cross, and they buried him in a tomb, and they put a seal, a, a rock over that tomb, and they sealed it, and they guarded it, and did everything they could to destroy his life. But his life was indestructible. And so he is high priest forever and has proven it in the order of Melchizedek because he has risen again from the dead. Not only do we have the promise, but we have the proof of the indestructible life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 17. I'm almost done. For it is declared, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This This is Psalm uh, 110, uh, verse 4, uh, where, where Jesus is declared priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, without, without the promise. But he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110, if you want to read that. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Because of the oath, the promise, and the word of God, and the indestructible life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have an unshakable confidence in the promises of God. We have an unshakable confidence in the word of the Lord. And we, because of Jesus, and because of who God is, and that He has said it, we should come to the place (coughs) where we don't need to test God, where we just trust Him. We should come to the place where we don't doubt His Word. We believe it. We should come to the place where where we're not hiding out in wine presses, threshing wheat, when we are called to clothe ourselves in the armor of the Lord and go out to war against our enemy, we are called to live by faith, to not hide out in fear. It's a good day to remember that God is faithful, that He has promised, that He has said it. The sign that we have is the indestructible life of Jesus. He has risen again. And so because of God's Word that He has spoken it, and because of the empty tomb, we trust in God. We believe Him. We take Him at His Word. And we will build our lives on what God has said. You know what you need in times of difficulty? You need a word from the Lord. And you know what you need to know is that you can trust what God has said. What God has said about finances, you can trust it. What what God has said about family, you can trust it. What He has said about freedom, you can trust it. What He has said about marriage, You can trust it. What God has said about you, you can trust. What He has declared over your future, you can trust it. What He has said is coming, you can trust. Who He declares that He is, you can trust. Stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. Because God has spoken, and Jesus has risen, and that is enough for me, and that is enough for you, and it's enough for you, that we no longer walk in fear, but walk in faith, no longer doubting, completely believing, never having to test, just wholeheartedly trusting. Let's let's stop it today and start it today, all in the same day. Let's stop it and let's start it. Let's stop living by everything else. Let's start living by faith in Jesus and in who He is and what He has said. And He, he said that when we do that, we'll build our lives on such, a, on such a secure rock that nothing will be able to shake us or destroy us or tear us down, that we with Him will forever stand, that not even death will be able to bring down the house if we build it on Jesus, on who He is, and on what He said. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we thank you again this Sunday. We should do this every Sunday. We thank you again this Sunday that you went to the cross, that you died for our sins, that you were buried, and on the third day you rose again, that yours, that yours is an indestructible life, and that in you we, we also become those who live indestructible lives, that because you live, we live. We thank you uh, for, for this sign that you have given, that you were three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and on the third day you rose again, proving that you are who you say you are. And because of this, and because of your word, and because of your unchanging nature and your indestructible life, we declare this morning that, that we're going to stop doubting and that we're going to believe. We're going to stop testing and that, and that we're going to trust. We're going to stop living by fear and we're going to start living by faith. We thank you for your gentleness and your compassion and that you understand uh, that, we're, that we're just men, just women, that we're flesh and blood. Lord, we pray you pour out your grace upon us and we know your grace is sufficient. So help us every day to not test you but to trust you, to not live in fear but to live in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you this morning if, if today you just want to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, I just ask you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hands. I see your hand. Yes, amen. If you're watching online or listening, you just raise your hand as well. And just as we pray together, just pray with us and just repeat after me. Just pray this from your heart. Everyone just repeating after me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the only begotten Son of God. And I receive your forgiveness, your salvation. And I declare that you are my Savior, that you are my Lord, that you are my forever passion, that I will live trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, praise the Lord. Thank you so much. God bless you. Uh, trust in Him with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding.